Welcome to Orphans No More, a media extension of Justice for Orphans, a ministry dedicated to rally the church for the cause of the fatherless, inspiring, educating, and equipping believers to care for vulnerable children, and supporting those who have heard and heeded the call of James 127. Here's your host, Sandra Flack. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. That is Romans 8.28, one of my favorite verses. Welcome to Orphans No More, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children in crisis through adoption, foster care, and kinship care. I am your host, Sandra Flack. Thank you for joining me for episode 284. It's August. Can you believe it? How is your summer going? Mine? Crazy. Crazy busy. When isn't it crazy busy? But it definitely is a little uh, packed full. I just finished a week of taking my youngest son, my 15-year-old, to his uh, day camp for kids with special needs. It's almost an hour drive one way. I have to have him there at 8 o'clock in the morning pick him back up at three o'clock in the afternoon. It's a grueling schedule for me because it's it's a lot of a lot of time on the road, um, far from our home. Uh, and I'm it, it's a challenge. It's 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 hard to do some days, but yet it is oh so worth it making that sacrifice. I'm grateful he can go because actually last year for 2020 it was canceled. And the year before that, 2019, was the first year he got to participate in this camp. And it was an amazing experience for him. Uh, he met, made his first real friend ever at this camp. And he just felt uh, it was such a perfect fit for him because he suddenly was in an environment that he wasn't the only one kind of different. And um, he just, it, it just, it was amazing, an amazing experience for him. And we were both just about devastated when the camp canceled for 2020, but it was back on for this year. Uh, and we were only really able to get him there. It's a day camp, but we were really only able to get him there for one week this year. In fact, I, I was trying to work out two weeks, but he really only wanted to do one. He really wanted to do it, but he really only wanted to do one. So that was fine. I listened to him. Um, but it was a great experience again for him, uh, and he got to be with his friend again. And um, again, this, the sacrifice of time and travel, well worth it. Our kids need structure. They need uh, that, that structured time where there's a routine and they know what to expect, and that's a great, uh, a great program for him. The average you know, YMCA kind of camp or day camp, our community has a summer recreation program. Those kind of programs are not good for him because he would need a one-on-one -on -one support person, which we don't have access to at this time. However, this special needs camp that he went to had every single thing that he needed. So it was an amazing uh, experience for him. And I'm so grateful he was able to do that. Uh, how do you keep your kids busy during the summer? I know it's a challenge, especially um, we're used to them having all of that structure and everything in school every day. And then when school stops and they have that summer break, or if you're a homeschooling family, do you stop homeschooling over the summer? Do you keep going? What do you do? 
uh, please reach out and let me know. I would love to hear how you navigate the summer months with your kiddos, especially those of us who are parenting kids from hard places, children adopted or, or foster kids. Um, let me know how you do it. Uh, shoot me an email, sandraflackjfo at gmail.com or, or reach out to me on social media. We are in the trenches together and I love to hear from you. Well, we have a wonderful adoptive author mama as our guest today. But before we begin just a few minutes from now with our conversation, want to let you know if you're looking for some good summer reading material, my book, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, is available everywhere good books are sold. Um, if you happen to grab it on Amazon as the paperback or the Kindle version, after you read it, please go back on there and leave a review. I, I would greatly appreciate that. If you'd like a signed copy uh, with a special gift bookmark, you can order from my website and I'll sign it and pop in the bookmark and get it in the mail to you. Um, my website is sandraflack.com. Uh, and not only can you order the book there, you can learn more about me, this podcast. You can read my weekly blog, uh, which is really geared toward fellow foster and adoptive moms and, and our journey that we're on. Uh, you can contact me about speaking opportunities. If you're doing a mom's retreat or a women's retreat, um, or you need a guest speaker for an event, um, you can, you can uh, check out my calendar there and uh, reach out to me and let me know um, that what you're looking for. And I would love to come and speak at your event. My website is also connected to our Justice for Orphans uh, nonprofit uh, ministry website, which is justicefororphansny.org. So you can connect either place. Um, you'll be able to get from one place to the, to the, the other because um, it is all on there. Uh, if you are encouraged or inspired by this podcast, please, please, please subscribe uh, and leave a review so other podcast listeners like you can find us more easily and share it on your social media with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so that they can be encouraged also. Now, I am thrilled to have us uh, have with us today um, a guest joining us all the way from Arizona. She's an adoptive mom and author, Tracy Glenn. Tracy is a born again child of God and a self-proclaimed Jesus freak. She is a writer, a researcher of biblical wisdom with a heart for God, kids, and all God's creatures. Tracy shares her journey through the pages of her life as a seeker of the Lord. She is a graduate of the School of Hard Knocks. I, I think I may have attended that same school. Uh, and the Lord has used that education to transform, transform her into a new creation. Tracy has an associate's degree in psychology, is enrolled in the Living Waters School of Biblical Evangelism, and is a successful entrepreneur. Tracy was raised on a cattle ranch in Southeast Arizona. She's been married for over 30 years to the love of her life, Link. She is the mother of three, a grandmother of four, raised a daughter with special needs, and is currently homeschooling her adopted son. She co-founded Caring Connections for Special Needs LLC in 2007, which at present has six locations across Southern Arizona and provides other special needs children and their families with essential support and services. 
involvement and helping others in need ultimately led her and her husband to adopt their son in 2013. You can learn more about Tracy and read more at her Branded in Faith blog on her website, www.brandedinfaith.com, or connect with her on Facebook at Branded in Faith or Instagram at Branded in Faith. Tracy's book, her first book, which is a memoir, is set to publish this month. So welcome to the show, Tracy Glenn. (laughs) Thank you for having me on. I'm thrilled to have you. I know we connected through the virtual She Writes for Him conference, and I love talking with fellow adoptive and author moms. Um, But first, let's start with your backstory. Uh, You and your husband, Link, cool name. Uh, I have to say that my oldest adopted daughter, her last name was Link. So it was kind of funny when I saw that. but you and your husband, Link, have two adult biological daughters. They're 29 and 22 now, and you adopted a son. So what led you to pursue adoption? Um, well, I had felt called by God early in our marriage. We had already had our oldest daughter, and um, I just had... God laid it on my heart that, and I didn't know when it was going to happen, but I just felt that I would eventually adopt. Of course, when I mentioned it to Link, uh, he was really not uh, on board at that time. So uh, that was before we had Kaylee, that is our daughter that has special needs. And when I was pregnant with her, it was just a few weeks prior to her being born that the, my uh, doctor decided, well, he determined that she probably only weighed about four pounds. And this was about three weeks prior to her birth. And my other daughter, I, her birth weight was nine pounds, nine pounds, three ounces. So he was concerned. He sent us for an ultrasound. And then we ended up at a specialist in Tucson. And he basically told us that she was going to have a a disability. He didn't know what it was. He rattled off about 15 different things like downs and spina bifida and, uh, and had, he said, she needed to be delivered. So we delivered. I, he induced and she was delivered and the hospital released her as normal. But then as she grew, she started having problems. So this, I'm, this kind of put my adoption kind of way to the back of my mind because I was dealing with um, a special needs child, which at this point I was still not believing that she had difficulties, that she had special needs, because uh, the pediatrician kept saying things like, well, all kids develop at different rates and and that. Well, when she started having seizures, Mm. yeah, we were, yes, contacted by a family friend that sent us to a doctor in Tucson. And at this time we were living clear down, we're, we were about three hours from Tucson at this point in time. 
but we made the commute back and forth just so she could see him. And he was so concerned about her. He immediately put her into the hospital, but with the problems, we were able to get her into services uh, with the division of developmental disabilities is what the it's called here in Arizona. And she had all these services, but nobody really to provide them. So I had, there was a lady at my church and I helped her get um, certified to provide those services. And then God changed everything. <laughs> and we ended up moving to uh, Benson, which is closer to Tucson. We were only about an hour from Tucson. And I actually thought her services would get better, but they actually got a little worse because they had therapists traveling all the way down to Douglas, but nobody really wanted to come just to Benson because it was so close to Tucson. And all of this with my daughter ended up leading us to start a business in 2007, which provided services to kids with special needs. And we floundered at that. Well, yeah. what was I just had a question. How old was your daughter when you realized she needed all these services and things? At what point was she having, did she start seizures and all of that? She started having seizures uh, right before it, she was born in March. And in December of when she was two, she started having, well, actually in, in September, she started having seizures, but the doctor just diagnosed them as um, febrile seizure, seizures. Well, then in December, and his, he kept saying, as long as it doesn't go over six minutes, there won't be any brain damage. But in December of that year, she had a six minute seizure. Mm. And that's what kind of led us to switching doctors and, and all of that. Yeah. So, so any, um, so with our business, we kind of floundered when we first started it and it really depleted our finances, but God, the glory goes to God because God is the one that kept the doors open. And he moved us out of just focusing on developmental disabilities and into the behavioral health system. So now we were providing services also for kids enrolled in behavioral health. And because of that, in 2010, I had a friend that called and uh, her brother had his children, he had three at the time, three boys, had been taken away by uh, Child Protective Services. And she was just calling to get some information. They were trying to find a family that could possibly adopt. The two older boys were in foster care and the third boy was actually being raised by a biological aunt. So it was her sister. <clears throat> and so she was kind of calling for information. Well, I, because that had always been, God had planted that seed so many years prior. The first thing that came to my mind was, oh, maybe this is God's 
God leading mm -hmm. us to adoption. So I talked to my husband and he was at this time more open to the idea. And so we moved forward with on that track of adoption. And we started talking to the family that this friend we had, we had known her for over 20 years. She was, she is still married to um, a really good friend, a, another really good friend of ours. So that's kind of how we had met her. And um, so we knew the family and the, the interesting thing is, is so that was on the dad's side and on the biological dad side, on the biological mother's side, her, her dad had actually worked for our company. And so it was very interesting how all of this, God set everything up and it really felt like this was the right thing to do. So we start, we were introduced to the boys. We enrolled in foster care classes so that we could pursue this. And then, and this was at the beginning of 2011. And in March of 2011, when we were right in the middle of our foster care classes, the state had kind of started talking about, well, they had always talked about reunification because that's what their ultimate goal is. Right. Well, at this point in time, uh, and this kind of all happened at the same time, my mom got sick. She had battled cancer before my daughter Kaylee had even been born. And she, her stomach had started she was having very bad stomach issues and she ended up in the hospital. And around this same time, the, when the state started talking about reunification, they were talking about putting the boys back into the dad's home. And so my husband at this point said, I, we don't want to be another home that these kids are ripped out of. So they were living with their biological grandfather at the time. And we decided to step back because we didn't want that. We didn't want them moved into our home and then taken out of our home and moved into the dad's home. Right. So, hmm. so dealing with my mom, she had gone into the hospital and nine days later, she's passing away. Oh. And. Yeah, so we were going through that and it was the morning, the last morning that we drove to Tucson, it was actually the day that she passed away. The night before on the 29th, the fourth boy had been born because the mother was pregnant with a fourth boy. I forgot to mention that. And um, I had been praying for the baby the whole time because the mother was using drugs. So I had really been praying for this, the baby that God would just protect him and uh, that he would, you know, just be born healthy. And so 10 days after the baby was born, which she had him and she did not name him, she basically walked out and left him and they, he was put on a morphine drip for those first 10 days. And we ended up going to a child protective service meeting about him because we, at this point in time, were thinking 
well, maybe the baby is where God is leading us. And sitting in the child protective service meeting, the we were with the, the father's sister, the aunt that was raising the third child. And then the biological mother was there and she had brought two people to the meeting that she was wanting to take the take the child. He had no name at this time, the baby. And, um, and they were older, which I thought was kind of odd because they were the, it was a father and his daughter. He was probably in his seventies. She was in her sixties. And I just couldn't realize or figure out why they would want to adopt a child. (laughs) And I guess in retrospect, thinking about and, the, and I don't have any proof of this. It's just my thought. And it was just of the child trafficking. I don't know, but Arizona is very high in that. But mm-hmm. I never saw them again after that meeting. But anyway, it was in that meeting that Colin's, Colin was named. So the, fa- the, the father's side had determined they wanted to name him Colin. And he went home with the aunt that had Colin's brother. Hopefully this is not too confusing. <laughs> my, so, listener, my listeners are very used to this because this is a typical foster care story. <laughs> okay. So um, she had him for about six months and we were keeping him on and off. And then because God, always works everything the way that he determines it should go. Um, The biological aunt was also helping her mother and her mother ended up getting sick and she couldn't take care of both of the children. She had not only Colin and his brother, but she also had a child of her own that in a single mother, she had lost her husband, but, um, So we took him in at six months old and then just working through the court system, the, the state's still trying to reunify all of the kids with the father. They were in and out of, of jail during this time. Um, And finally, what they ended up happening is the, they convinced the dad that if he would work towards unification with the two oldest boys and release the two younger boys, that they would continue to do that with him, work to try to get the older boys back into his house. And so he was willing to do that. He, re- he released the two younger boys. And when Colin, this was about when Colin was two years old and we were able to adopt him and the aunt adopted his brother that was just older than him. So, so that's how we ended up with Colin. Um, yeah, a lot of twists and turns when, when it comes to foster care and reunification and, and placement and siblings and all of that. So we totally totally understand that. So how old is Colin now? Colin is 10. Okay. And Tracy, so many of the kids in child welfare experience loss and and trauma. And um, you mentioned that he was exposed prenatally to drugs, most likely alcohol, because the two usually go hand in hand. 
what's been your experience um, with that? Like, is the, are you seeing any signs of, um, you know, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or any of those things? So we knew for sure that he had been exposed to heroin and oxy mm. and um, likely alcohol, because usually that goes hand in hand with that type yeah. of stuff. Uh, so, and he has done really, really well, but he does struggle with the learning retention the, he really struggled with the motor functions. His just attention span, he struggles with that. He struggles with his temper, losing his temper. And he had major struggles with his vision, mm -hmm. which I didn't realize the vision part. He had issues with his eye. He had one eye that kind of turned in. So we knew there was that problem. And he had, they actually operated on his eyes and fixed, they had to shorten the ligaments, I believe. Yep. Yep. And so he, that part was taken care of, but whenever he started school, he was still having issues and, and the, um, the optometrist was saying that he had 20, 20 vision and I'm saying there's no way he has 20-20 vision because he would, for instance, if he wrote a P, he would write the line that went down and then go about an inch above it to, to do the little loop. And so I really started doing some research of my own. And I came, I came across uh, what they call a developmental ophthalmologist. Yep. And uh that made a huge difference. So when he saw her, the very first thing she did was she sent him to an occupational therapist. And we did about a year of occupational therapy, him going once a week. And then she did the vision therapy with him, which he did the exercises and, and all of that. And then we did the brain injury therapy, which was, he went in, he had to go in twice a day. And it, I don't know if you've heard of that, but no. they, well, they lay him on a bed and the bed actually moves in all different directions. So it will go in a circle both ways. Um, and it, I mean, it's interesting. And then they blink these, these lights blink and it's supposed to reset the functioning of the brain. And it was amazing because I was fairly skeptical at first, but it was amazing the difference that it did make in him. So the developmental ophthalmologist made a huge, huge difference in, in all his vision, not only his vision, but his behavior and his learning and, and all of that. Wow. So what kinds of difference, I'm just curious, what kinds of differences did you see, like the positive impact of the brain injury therapy? Like what, what improved? Well, at first it got worse, which they warned us about. So his, uh, because we also had to work on his diet when he was going through this, he could not eat sugar or there were a lot of things that they, they did not want him to eat. And at first we, the behaviors got worse. So he acted out more. He got angry easier. 
Um, he lashed out worse, uh, just stuff like that. And, and that was expected. They warned us about that. But I just noticed a huge difference after we were through in his behavior, in his ability to be for us to reason with him whenever he was acting out. It got to where he was before he would have an extreme meltdown and there was absolutely no reasoning with him to, I think you need to go to your room and calm down. And he would actually go to his room, calm down and come out a different child. Wow. So it made a huge difference. I was very impressed. Yeah, that's, I hadn't heard about that type of therapy before. My youngest son, both of my boys diagnosed FASD have vision problems as well. They had the crossed eyes and had to have the surgery. But my youngest, who's 15, he also around age 10 had uh, vision therapy uh, because he had, we, we discovered that the optic nerve and I think it's his left eye is smaller and sort of deformed compared to a normal optic nerve, uh, which I chalk up to FASD. Both of my boys were exposed prenatally to alcohol. Uh, you know, we know that. They were, they were adopted internationally, so there could very well have been other things too, but we know about the alcohol. So they have the, the facial features and all of those classic FASD characteristics. Um, but that's, that's really interesting about the brain injury therapy. I had not learned of that. Um, so, so that's incredible. So thank you for sharing that. Um, so now I know because of COVID you had started homeschooling, Colin, are you, did you finish the year homeschooling? Are you, are you still on that track? Did you go back to school? Well, we are still on that track. Uh, my daughter homeschools. So she has four children. I have four grandchildren children and she has two that she's homeschooling and she had tried to talk me into doing that because Colin just continuously kept falling farther and farther behind they had him they we had an IEP for him and they were sending him to special ed classes but he just kept he there and I understand teachers have so many children that they cannot give special attention to one but Colin really needed someone sitting there telling him, okay, that needs to be a little neater or, you know, just because he had very little try. Uh, he, you tell him to write something first, he couldn't really write very well. And so he would just scribble something out and it was completely incoherent. You could not even understand what it was supposed to mean. And so I had been thinking about homeschooling for a while, but there were doubts. I had doubts in of my own ability. Mm -hmm. So that really, because I was afraid of failing him, I, I kind of stepped back from that. But when COVID hit, I did not want to send him to school in a mask. And just that whole, the whole situation around it and I felt like God was really telling me, okay, <laughs> I want you to homeschool this boy. So, so we got the curriculum. It's a Christian curriculum, which I was happy about that. I, and um, he has made tremendous progress 
So the only, I have issues and some guilt over the fact, because Colin is a very social child. And that was his favorite part about school was recess. And because we don't, we don't live in town. We live out, um, we have about eight acres and we really only have one neighbor. Thankfully the neighbor has grandkids that come to visit her. So he gets to see them. He's getting ready to go to camp. And um, so I think the, the, well, I know the only thing part that he misses about school is recess and getting to see his friends, but we try to fill in as best we can on that with play dates and, and that type of stuff. Wow. So now I just want to go back for a sec for um, your, your daughter, uh, Kaylee, right? Is that her name? Um, no, my oldest daughter is Taylor. Yes. Taylor. That has children or the developmental disabilities. Um, your daughter with the developmental disabilities. Oh. That is Kaylee. Yes. That is Kaylee. Okay. So, so I know, I, I believe the last time we talked also because of COVID, she actually came back home um, and you were caring for her as well. So is she still home? What, what's going on there? Yes. So when Kaylee graduated from high school, uh, we, she is also a very social person and uh, so we have found a home for her. She needs a lot of care because she needs help with her bathing and brushing her teeth and taking her medicine and all of that. And so we had found a home in Tucson and moved her in. She was in with two other ladies and she was very happy there. However, uh, in January of 2020, we I received a phone call that she had been, because she would go to a day program and another uh, person that was attending the day program was a young man. He had, um, he lost his temper and he focused, it, he focused his aggression on Kaylee and kicked her in the leg and it ended up breaking her left hip. Mm which when they took her into, because she can't tell you where, she is not verbal enough to say, my hip hurts or, and she'll often point to other areas. And she told them her knee hurt. And then she told them her ankle hurt and they x-rayed those two places and nothing was broke. And she has a tendency when she gets babied to really play up an injury. So I, just went on, okay, they x-rayed her hip. Talk about guilt, because <laughs> I'm getting ready to. So I kept thinking, okay, well, they x-rayed her knee and her ankle. So I know that's not the issue. So I was assuming it was just because somebody was babying her that she was still having issues. But when I received a text from one of the ladies saying that she had, she was mad about something and she had thrown herself down on the floor having a fit. And unfortunately it took me until about one o'clock in the morning. I feel like God woke me up and I sat up in bed because Kaylee's not physically able to throw herself down and she's too cautious to do that. And the immediately her hip came to mind. Mm -hmm. So I felt like, Oh man, it's her hip. And it was torture because I couldn't go back to sleep. And I had to wait till a decent hour before I could call or text. 
Well, yes, they took her in back in and she had broke her left hip. Mm. So we went through surgery on that and, um, we brought her home. We got her walking, everything healed up. Of course, COVID was, uh, progressing. This was about, um, probably about May. She was doing really, really well. So we decided, okay, well, we can move her back into her home. And we moved her back in the, I think it was the last weekend of May. And literally three weeks later, I get another text that Kaylee had fallen again and they were headed back to the emergency room. So I just about fainted whenever I got the text that her right hip was broken. Mm. So she had broke her left hip in January and now little over four months later, we're dealing with her right hip being broken. And God always amazes me because what happened, it, I, I was trying not to panic. I stayed home with Colin and Link went up to the hospital. We wanted her back at the university hospital where she had had her first surgery. Well, the hospital that she was at was not super pleased with our decision and they agreed to put in the transfer, but they would not transfer her over to the other hospital. So my husband was going to have to do that. And my phone rang and this, I feel like this was from God, absolutely 100% because it was the surgeon who is a top surgeon in that hospital. He not only looked at the transfer paper, but he recognized her name she was someone that he had only ever seen uh, like maybe three times and took it upon himself to personally call me to see what had happened. And I was thinking, this is God, mm -hmm. because when my husband got to the university hospital with her, he had everything ready. They knew she was coming. They had her room ready. They got her into the room. And she was out, this was on Saturday and I was bringing her home on, I think it was Monday. I was bringing her home that everything had happened that quickly. She had recovered. And I told my husband, I really think that God is telling us that we need to bring her home. So that was a long answer to your question, <laughs> but she is still at home. <laughs> so we brought her back home. We moved her out of the house. So yeah. So when well, you're caring for her, you're homeschooling Colin, and he's got some, some, some challenges. You've got four grandchildren. I know you've written the book, which we're going to get to. Um, and I can relate to some of the struggles that you're walking through. So how do you, Tracy, how do you get through each day? Well, when I started writing my book, um, I was spending a lot of time sitting at my computer just writing. So when... I decided, or we decided that we were going to do the homeschooling program. I started getting up earlier so that I would have time. So I typically get up. I try to get up around three 30 in the morning. I don't get up that early, but <laughs> I always try to at least get up by five just so I have some time. Well, to spend with God, but to also write because there's so much involved with this that I didn't even know I was going to have to do, but, um, 
And then when Kaylee gets up, I have to take care of her. So I, I, if I bathe her, I dress her, that type of stuff, brush her teeth, get her medicine. And then Colin and I do school. We can usually get done with school by two. And that includes a break for him and lunch. And then in the afternoon, I will either work on my web, more on my website or things with that, or I have a hobby that I've started doing, or, I mean, a couple of years ago, we put a pool in, so we might do the pool and just that type of stuff. So that's what my day typically looks wow. like. Wow. So you, you really maintain a schedule and um, getting up early is part of that to be able to just get all of those things in, because it even sounds like you're doing some self-care in there with a hobby and taking time for yourself early in the morning. Absolutely. Because if I don't get up early like that, I don't have time for that type of stuff. And it will just really set. I mean, it just, my day just doesn't, it's not as good. Yeah. Well, I, oh, I can relate to that for sure. So good, good advice there. So tell us now about your book. I believe the name is Gathering the Wayward Heart. Yes. Uh, it is a memoir devotional and it, I took a period of time, basically my last year in college um, to just right around Christmas of 2020. So kind of at the end of COVID. Uh, and that's the time that I covered. It's based around a trauma that I've experienced in my life and just, I don't experiences with God the uh, subtitle is Lessons in Faith and Surrendering Our Best Laid Plans. Because mm -hmm. I had plans and God had different plans. So. <laughs> wow. Which is how he is. So. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So that's, that's, that's so good. So it's also, it's not just a memoir, but it's a devotional as well. Yes. It's a memoir devotional. Um, and then I have a study at the end of each chapter. And I had chosen the term gathering because uh, I grew up on a ranch and well Matthew 18 12 and Luke 15 4 both talk about Jesus leaving the 99 to gather the one because that's what we call it mm -hmm. <laughs> well, we, we gather cattle so I oh. don't gather I mean we don't have sheep but <laughs> but so oh. that's where gathering come from kind of gathering God gathering me up because I was so headstrong and it's you know just he I felt like he he just did that he does that for everyone he gathers us back to him when we go try to go our own way so mm. oh I love that so I know when, when are you looking at release? Cause we chatted about this. These things don't always happen as fast as we want them to. Right. And I am unsure of when it will be released. Uh, we, I still have to get my launch team together and, and, and do that process. So I'm working with redemption press on that as we speak. So so, so hopefully by, by early fall is, is, a good, is, is a good, is a good gauge, but I know I'm sure our listeners can stay tuned to 
Um, and we're going to give them how to contact you and follow you on social media and your website here in a sec. And that, that would be a great way to stay tuned for that information. Um, so your website, brandedinfaith.com, I know you blog there, you do some teaching there. Um, tell us about that part of your ministry. Okay, so because I was raised on a ranch, that's where I found, I, the branded in faith comes from because second Corinthians 1, 21 through 30 or 21 through 22, God talks about placing his seal on us, which is basically his brand. And that's what mm -hmm. brand do when we brand calves, we are basically that tells the world that that calf belongs to this rancher. He is under their protection and he watches over them. So that's where my branded in faith comes from. And I, as I was working through my memoir, I really realized that I had shame and a lot of unhealed wounds from my past because I would just experience moments of sheer panic. And sometimes my husband would wake up and I've just been crying for hours because I, I'm writing things that I hadn't, I had kind of buried and not dealt with. And so I, through the whole process, I started changing my mindset and developing tools to just change the way that I talked to myself and thought about things. We're never going, going to be able to change what everybody thinks of us because we have no control over that. But we need to change how we think about ourselves mm. and how to deal with people thinking certain ways about us. So when Recently, whenever I went through another boot camp with redemption, I was talking about what happened to me in college. And I had a hard time saying it. And I kept thinking, why, why am I still having a hard time talking about this? So I really just had to kind of go back through all of those steps. And when I did that, I went ahead and developed a course of this kind of just writing down the steps that I was going through. And so I went, I put together a 10 day course, just helping other people work through identifying, first of all, what, where are your, where are you experiencing shame from? Because a lot of people experience it and don't ever pinpoint exactly why they're experiencing it and where it's coming from. Right. And I mean, an example of this is I've always had an issue with my body image because, and I think it's, I have determined that it's because something that my grandma had done and I, she was probably just trying to help me. I'm sure she was, but she had introduced me as the fat one in the family <laughs> and it really stuck with me. Yeah. And I, so I really had to work through that and I just had to change the way that I was thinking about that. And it's amazing the difference that it has made in my life. So, but anyway, I, and I put together a quiz and then I did it on a website, theshamequiz.com. 
So you can find that there, or you can find it on my website, which is brandedinfaith.com. Wow. So I love that. I love all that you're talking about. And I can so much relate to that. And, and some of what you said is what I included in my memoir, my book that just released, Orphans No More, A Journey Back to the Father, because um, I tell the memoir part, I tell about our adoption journeys, but then what I learned about my spiritual adoption as a child of God through that lens of being an adopted parent and orphans and foster kids, those who have been physically orphaned, they can carry that shame as well because of rejection, abandonment, all of those kinds of things, neglect. Um, and I didn't, I wasn't technically an orphan growing up, but my parents divorced when I was, when I was in like fifth grade, like, I, or not fifth grade, when I was about five. Um, so like kindergarten. So I was, that caused me to, and of course I couldn't identify these feelings then, but processing through life and walking with the Lord, you know, I can now look back and understand why I thought the way I did and why I did the things I did because I felt shame and rejection because my father, not only did my parents divorce, but my father moved out of state and basically didn't ever come back. So um, feeling just like not good enough, not, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't lovable enough or uh, good enough, or, you know, I, I wasn't wanted enough. Like those were the things that I was believing so painfully shy as a child. And I remember, and I tell this story in my book about how you remember for first grade, they, they have you in these reading circles and everybody has to go around and read out loud. I would not read out loud. I feared drawing any kind of attention to myself. I was afraid to read out loud. I could read at first. The teacher didn't think I could read. I could read, but I wouldn't read out loud. So then the teacher actually her method back then was really to shame me into reading. And I did eventually read, but it was, it, it was something that I carried for a long time to where um, I just had this fear and this insecurity all of the time, but yet God had a plan for my life and it was to use me to speak and to write. So I had to go through that process of understanding who I really am in Christ, who God says I am, and, and start listening to the truth of God's words and not those lies. Um, so it's kind of like changing the way you think, like you mentioned. So I totally relate to that. I love that. Um, love that part. I, I can't wait to read your book. I'm so excited. So we will, we will stay tuned to, um, you know, to, to your, to your website, which I'll, let's give our listeners that information. Um, brandedinfaith.com. You're also on Instagram, <clears throat> excuse me, Instagram at Branded in Faith and Facebook at, uh, is it Branded in Faith there or is it, just, is it your name, Tracy Glenn? What's your Facebook handle? Tracy Glenn at Branded in Faith. Oh, there you go. Awesome. So we'll make sure that we put links to all of those things in the show notes for this episode so that our listeners can easily find you. Um, and Tracy, as we wrap up today, what is on your heart that you would really like to share with our listeners? Well, it's interesting that you, because I was the same way in school <laughs> as you were. And the funny thing is that you don't hear anything anybody else reads because you're trying to figure out what you have to read and worried about messing up. So, and the Ephesians 6.12 really comes to mind when I think about shame and guilt uh, because 
Ephesians 6, 12 tells us that we don't fight against flesh and blood, but principalities of darkness. So as I was writing my memoir, I, and I was experiencing those feelings of guilt and shame and fear and just feelings that I was unworthy and going to be judged. And God reminded me that he doesn't call the strong and the perfect. He calls the weak and the imperfect, like Gideon, Moses, and David. So when we step onto the battlefield and we feel those and experience those feelings of guilt, shame, and fear, we have to remember that those are from the enemy. Mm -hmm. Right. And those tools that he uses against us have worked in the past. So he's going to continue to try to use them against us. Well, and we all know that when we accept Jesus, we are forgiven, we're redeemed, and we are washed clean. But often the thing that keeps us bound by those feelings of shame and guilt and fear and will keep us from stepping ever even one foot onto the battlefield is our unwillingness to forgive ourselves. Hmm. Uh, That's key. That is key. And that's the hardest to do is forgive ourselves. Wow. Wow. Such a good word there. Tracy, thank you so much for sharing your story and being a guest on the show today. Um, thrilled to have you with us. Can't wait to, to, to read your book when it launches. I'll be praying that everything comes into place and it'll launch soon. Um, and we'll be sharing that with our listeners. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. It was really awesome. It was great having you, you here. Are, and you are doing awesome work yourself. Thank you so much. I just love chatting with Tracy uh, and love that you were listening. Thank you so much. As I mentioned, we will include links to all of Tracy's, um, uh, her website, her social media. We'll include all of that in the show notes for this episode, uh, as well as the corresponding blog post that will go with it, which is on our justicefororphansny.org website. Um, but you can right away learn more about Tracy and check out her website, brandedinfaith.com. Um, so I hope that you will check that out and stay tuned for her book release. I'd also like to tell you some exciting things that are coming up. September, right around the corner, I can't believe we're talking about September or just into August, but next month, September is Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder Awareness Month. Um, I have the privilege of writing another article for Focus on the Family, which is going to be about FASD. Um, And if you remember, uh, back on episode 261 of this podcast, I interviewed Judge Andra Ackerman. Uh, Judge Ackerman had grown up, uh, she had spent some time in foster care as a kid, had been born to an alcoholic mother. Um, So she really recognizes uh, and understands what's going on with FASD. And Um, sees many individuals um, coming before her bench um, who she recognizes um, were probably exposed to alcohol um, and and drugs in the womb. So we are putting together a judge's school. She calls it judge's school, like it's a thing. I didn't know judge's school was a thing, but just like in a lot of professions, there's continuing education that you have to do. Judges 
and um, attorneys have to do something similar and they're calling it judges school and I'm getting to be a panelist so I can speak from the perspective of a mom uh, parenting kids with FASD uh, and what that lived experience is like, but also um, helping them get key people on the panel, like uh, uh, Dr. Christy Petrenko, who we interviewed not too long ago on the show from the University of Rochester. She runs the FASD clinic out there. Um, Dr. Uh, Ira Chasnoff, who wrote Guided Growth, who I haven't had on this podcast yet, but would love to get him on there. Love his book, Guided Growth. Um, and so he's actually going to be doing a presentation teaching from a doctor's perspective, who, a doctor who specializes in FASD. So we're getting all these folks on there. And, and our, our goal is to educate judges so that they understand FASD and make those accommodations because um, putting an individual in jail who maybe was part of a crime or um, got into some legal trouble, um, to, they're not ever going to learn their lesson because individuals with FASD do not have the capacity really to learn cause and effect and from consequences and, and things like that. So they really need more of a mentor walking them through life. So anyway, that's coming up in October. I hope you'll be praying for um, all these things that I'm involved in. Please keep me in prayer because I certainly need that. Um, that's coming up in October. But um, again, FASD Awareness Month is September. All of our uh, topics for our episodes for the month of September, uh, we're going to focus on FASD. So all of my guests, that's what we're going to be talking about. Um, and we're in the process of updating the Justice for Orphans website so that when you go there and you click on resources, there'll be all of this information about FASD and links to podcasts and books and other websites that specialize specifically in fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. So I hope that you'll check that out. That will be on justicefororphansny.org on our website. Just click on resources. Ooh, so many amazing things going on. Um, let's see, you can check out my website also, sandraflack.com. I do write a blog there that's Similar to this podcast in that our, my, my audience really, I know, are, are you guys that are listening, especially foster and adoptive moms, parents, uh, kinship care uh, moms. So um, you can check out those encouraging blog posts. You can grab a copy, a signed copy of my book and the uh, Orphans No More Journey Back to the Father along with the, the uh, gift bookmark. All of that on my sandraflack.com website. And you can uh, check out my social media. I'd love for you to friend me on Facebook at Sandra Flack. I also have a Sandra Flack author page on Facebook. On Instagram, I'm at Sandra Flack underscore JFO. Um, and Justice for Orphans also has a dedicated Facebook and Instagram page. So I hope you'll like and follow all of the above. I thank you again for listening. I'm so grateful to have you on this journey with me. You've spent your valuable time with me today. I'm grateful for that. Um, I pray that you stay the course. I know the journey can be very challenging, but we're here to support one another. We're together on this journey. Thank you for joining me for this episode, episode 280 of Orphans No More. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Orphans No More, for sharing what you've heard and praying for vulnerable children everywhere. We hope you are inspired to walk out James 127 in whatever way God calls you. 
For more information, visit justicefororphansny.org.